You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Like, I want a beard like that, but my wife has said no. And uh, I'm kind of thankful, though, now, like, that I'm, I'm getting older, more mature. Um, it looks like my beard, like there's I've been, like, in powdered donuts and stuff, which I enjoy a good powdered donut, but I don't eat them that much, you know what I mean? <clears throat> so, anyway, thanks, Tim, for, for being here and stepping in and leading us in worship and in a whole sway, and uh, it's good stuff. So, um, anyway, we're going to begin a series in Ephesians, and so... I want to challenge you, maybe over the next few weeks, if you don't normally bring a Bible or you don't normally open up your app um, during time, to go ahead and do that and make some notes, because we're going to go through the entire book of Ephesians um, together over the next few weeks. And so I think this is something that, in the book of Ephesians, it's written, written to Christians, for Christians, to be encouraged, to um, help us understand who we are in Christ and what Christ, what God has for us through Christ. And so this is very much an insider book, um, for lack of a better term. And so if you're, you're someone who is, has said yes to Jesus and you're growing in that, then you're going to be like, man, there's some really rich stuff, some good stuff in here. And if you're someone who's checking out faith and what does it mean to be a Christian, what is the reward, benefit, all the different, you know, cost analysis, whatever it is, um, this is going to be a great book for you so you can understand how God has chosen you, how God has invested in you, and how God ha- has a plan throughout. And so this idea of masterpiece and progress, that each one of us, God created, and God doesn't make junk, God doesn't make mistakes, God creates us unique, one-of-a-kind individuals, and so we're naturally a masterpiece. But what does it look like for us to be a masterpiece in progress? That God has, whenever He sees us, he's, He called us before the beginning of the world, and then if you've said yes to Jesus in this present age, you are redeemed, and you're this work in progress, but He also sees us as this completed work. And so... Good artists, I'm told, can see the final work that's completed before they even begin. That they have this image in their head, whether it's a painting, whether it's a drawing, even if it's a photograph, whether it's knitting, crocheting, even house reconstruction or house building. They see the picture, they see the master plan, and they go through whatever is necessary to get to that final piece and to be able to see it. And only whenever it's complete, the final detail is done, they're able to, as the great artist, step back and say, this is it. This is the masterpiece. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks is that the great artist, the creator of the greatest art, and part of that artwork is us, is in process. And he's, we see the present age, the work, the messiness, the dirtiness, the stuff where we feel unvalued or unworthy. And he understands that, but he sees in us the masterpiece, the, fulfilled, the finished product of what we're going to be and what we're going to look like in Christ. And so there's this couple that live down the road, not too far from us, that they're famous for fixing up houses and uh, the fixer upper people. Y'all know them. And um, so I want to I want you to get this image of your head of what it looks like sometimes about how when we come to Christ, that this is kind of what we feel like or what we sense we're in. And then maybe what a good artist does with something that's not really there. I think my first apartment was nicer than this. 
Chuck and Charmaine are looking for a fixer-upper here in Waco, Texas in a neighborhood called the Sanger Heights area. We've shown them three houses. Two of the houses cost more but require less renovation. One house is a complete wreck, but it gives them the most opportunity to make it exactly what they wanted. We went back and forth, some heated exchanges. In the end, we went for the ghost house. What would we call it? The catastrophe house? Yeah, you called it the catastrophe house. It's really hard to imagine it being something new and beautiful. I trust Joanna. I know she's been able to turn crappy into happy, and I'm hoping that she can do that with this house. Are you guys ready to see your fixer-upper? Let's go. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Is this the same house? Oh, man. That's, that's incredible. Wow. There were so many elements of this house that when you ripped off the porch, which oh was in gosh. complete disarray, and the landscape and the trees. I'm not hearing a word you're saying. Oh, <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, it really God. is. Everything is awesome. I, I can't believe it. Let's go inside well, let's now. Let's go see your. Come. Now you want them to come to your house, right? Yeah. To turn your crappy into happy. That's what God does. God takes something that everyone else, and even us, sometimes us, says, man, there's no worth, no value, there's nothing here. And then God invades it. And he turns it and changes it from the inside out where there's something different about us. And so over these, this morning and over these next few weeks, we're going to dig in to that, that God has a master plan for us. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians. And if, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but in Ephesians, this is a book written to the church at Ephesus. And it's a city of about 250,000 people at the time, which is a huge city. It's a port city, so there's a lot of wealth, there's a lot of traffic, there's transientness and all that. And then with a the port city and with their wealth, there's you know all kinds of things that, that happen in a city like that. And then also for their worship, they worshiped in the Temple of Diana, or the Temple of Artemis, and it was a fertility cult. And because it was a fertility cult, you can imagine all the different things that took place as a part of worship. And so because of that, the, the, the view of, of perspective of how, who God was and how we have to interact with God and what we have to do to make ourselves worthy of God was some radical change from that cult to Christianity. And so Paul is talking to that audience. He's talking to one, he's one, he's talking to some Jews that are there. All right. But then he's also talking to the Gentiles, those that have become, that are God fears that have moved out of these cults and then moved into Christianity and the freedom that they're finding in Christ. And so you can imagine the radicalness of the transformation in that. And so. Here Paul is reminding both the Jews and the Gentiles of God's master plan. He doesn't make mistakes. And what does it look like for us to be in community with Christ? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. This letter is from Paul, which is the Apostle Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus. And it's, again, the setting apart. This is the church. Those that whenever God sees us, he sees saints, he sees holy, people that are set apart from others in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now this grace is a grace, it's an unmerited favor, you didn't deserve it. But then also on the other part of this, this peace is a peace that washes over us. That, that The sense of that whenever 
God in the garden breathed his breath into Adam. He breathed the spirit of God and gave life to Adam, not just physical life, but spiritual life. And so he had peace because he wasn't in conflict with God in that moment. But in the moment whenever he sinned and he fell in the garden, there was conflict. There was brokenness in the relationship. And so here Paul is telling us through Christ, we can have that same peace that Adam had in the garden before the fall in that moment through Christ. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We are in Christ. So Ephesians 1, 3 through verse 14, if you write in your Bibles, you can put little brackets around that. That's the longest sentence in the New Testament. It's not very good English, but it's great Greek. Okay, there's a lot of richness in here. It's a longest sentence. And so that first word blessed, we get our word eulogy from. So if you've ever been to a funeral and they do a eulogy, when they do a eulogize someone, they're commending them. They're having a declaration of this person's goodness, of their character, of the things that they've done. And so here Paul is saying that he has blessed us. We've been blessed. We've been given commendation with every spiritual blessing. And again, spiritual is tied to the Holy Spirit. And so the source of all of these blessings is the Spirit of God. And where are these? what is this blessing? It's because we're united in Christ, and because we're united in Christ, all of the heavenly realms, which in other words means all of creation, all of dominion that's under Christ's power and authority, which is everything, we are with him in that because of our being united in Christ. Now, one of the interesting things about the Greek language is this, is they use different words um, for different things. And so one of these words that's very important is united in or united with. It's a case of location. And so Paul uses this exclusively in this and some other places so that we can understand that it's in Christ. We are in Christ, so we are located in him so that when God looks upon us, he doesn't see us. He sees Christ in those moments. And so whenever we're in the courtroom and because we've said yes to Jesus in the courtroom, God, the father, as a judge looks out, he doesn't see us in that moment. He sees Christ because we're located in him. And so he sees the finished work of Christ in us because he sees Christ. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, it's an interesting, powerful word to be located in him and with him in that moment that when God the Father looks out, he sees the completed work through his son, Jesus Christ. And God has a master plan. Here it is. Even before he made the world. Okay. So before Genesis 1-1, God loved you. And chose you to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So if before the world was created, he loved you and he chose you, then you are not a mistake. You're not leftovers. He purposely, before the world was formed, he saw you and knew you and chose to love you and to pursue you. Even though he knew everything about you. So even before the world was made, his master plan was to love us and to choose us, to pursue us in Christ, right? We're located in Christ and to be holy, set apart and without fault in his eyes. This is God's plan. He's sovereign. He's all powerful. He's also all seeing and all knowing. God's love, a New Testament love, is a heart that's inclined toward us. 
As Tim talked about as a father, your heart's inclined towards your children. You want the best for them. You want to spend time with them. You yearn, you're jealous for the affection of your children. And that's God's jealous love in pursuit of us. Verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us. This choosing, is a, there's a flip side of it. There's this drawing and this choosing. And so the choosing is, it was God's independent choice. No one forced God to choose you, which is like, duh, he's God, right? But then on the other side of this is the drawing force. And so this idea of being drawn is someone that's extremely hungry, hasn't eaten for a while, and they're drawn to what? Food. None of you have ever been hungry before, I see. Okay. And so when you're really, really hungry, you begin to think about food. And so here's that word to be chosen, but then also there's this drawing piece. We're chosen, but we're drawn to him. And so it's like hunger. We can't, we want, we want what he has. And so we're drawn to this food or the other idea is like an electromagnet in a salvage yard. You ever seen those, those big old things and they kind of move them over. And then whenever they turn on the magnet, you don't want to have anything magnetic on you because you'll be... Because the power and the draw to it, and that's what it says. When God chooses you, when you understand of his call on your life and his choosing of you and his love for you and his pursuit of you, it's like an electromagnet. It's like, whew, you. it is irresistible when you understand how much he loves you and that before the beginning of the world, he chose you and his love and pursuit of you. Desperately hungry for God. God decided in advance. Again, his master plan to adopt us into his own family, bringing us to himself, the drawing in to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. (laughs) Think about this again. Before the world, he saw you and he pursued you. This is what he wanted to do. Not a made up plan, not a like, "Mm, I think this might work or man, the garden didn't work out like I thought I got to No, He knew from beginning this is the plan and he's worked. So this is what he wanted to do. Why? Because it gave him pleasure. Pleasure. So many times we think of God, he's up there like whack-a-mole, like, boom, my kid did this, my kid did that. And he's like punishing at us when really he's pursuing us to have because it's his pleasure. Again, to see his children. This word adopt is this idea of us crawling up into the lap of our father and saying, Abba, Father, a deep, intimate relationship with God. So therefore, we praise him. We praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. And just think of this big old cup, just the graciousness that we receive in Christ because of Christ, in Christ because of him. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of the Son and forgave our sins. Now let's camp here for just a little bit. This idea here opens up this, this thought, this great theological idea of being redeemed. If you've been around church long enough, you've heard it, or the redemption, this idea of redemption. This idea of redemption. And so there's several different facets to this, this idea of being redeemed. And so I want to uh, just... Sit with me for a moment, okay? Because this is beautiful imagery that the scripture gives us. The first image is the word is the cow, okay? It's kind of a weird word, but it means to be legally declared righteous. In other words, again, it's courtroom language. You're there in the courtroom and God looks out and because we're in Christ, he says, the gavel goes down and it says, you are declared righteous. Go. It's a big word, redemption. The other one 
is the debts are canceled. All right? How many of us would love that? Okay? That you go before the courtroom again. You're in the courtroom and you look and it says, hey, here's the things that you owe. Because Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. So we're there. And he's counting up our wages. And then he looks at us in Christ. And the thing goes down and it says, paid in full, all debts canceled. It's powerful. Another one is that we are legally adopted. Again, a courtroom language. In the old days, whenever you would adopt someone, it was usually wealthy people adopting from those that were poor because the wealthy person, for whatever reason, may not have had kids and they wanted to pass on and they wanted to have an heirship, give ownership to all of the benefits that they had from their wealth and their power and their position, but they didn't have anybody to hand it off to. And so they would adopt from another family that maybe someone was blessed with multiple sons. So you can imagine, this is an uncomfortable conversation on both ends already, right? But then they come to this guy and say, hey, we, this husband and wife, we want to adopt one of your sons and I want to make him mine and make him my heir and everything that is mind that comes with my name, my power, my position, my authority, my wealth, everything comes with that adoption. So you can imagine that negotiation going on. And that's what God the Father says in this moment. He adopts us from a family of poverty into a family with his last name. And all power and authority and the blessings of being a child of God come with that. Then also to be legally reconciled that two parties are in conflict with one another. And then in that moment when we say yes to Jesus, the two parties are reconciled and there's a covenant made. And in those days when a covenant was made, the two would exchange salt from their pouches. And this guy would have salt in his pouch and this guy would have salt in his pouch. And they would reach into each other's salt pouch and take out granules. And they would say, the only way that this covenant could be broken is if you can find exactly your salt granules in my pouch. Which is an impossibility. And so God adopts us and he legally reconciles us and he says he's made a covenant with us that is unbroken. That there may be moments where we want to reach and try to find our salt granules in because we're not, this is more than what we thought it would be. God says, I don't even have the inkling of an idea to look for my salt granules in your cup, in your salt pouch. Then also this idea of a marketplace where fruits and vegetables and Meat are sold and still very much a place around the rest of the world daily buying your groceries. And unfortunately, part of that is that there's a part of the marketplace where slaves are sold. And so slaves would be a part of the marketplace and someone would be going and they would be bidding on that person as if they're a piece of fruit. And here Jesus says in this moment is that I have paid the price. I have bought you out of the marketplace. To never go back again. You're not a piece of fruit. You're part of the master plan. You're a masterpiece in progress. And so he buys us out of the marketplace. And then last, if not least, is that he's released us from captivity. That we're bound and, and held down by the things of this world and we're captives to that. And in this redemptive idea is that he releases us from captivity. And so the beautifulness of all that. And then one more final picture is this idea of a kinsman redeemer. Is that you have to be a part of the family. I don't know if you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz. 
But Ruth had become a part of a Jewish family, but her husband had died and she followed her mother-in-law back and she met Boaz and Boaz and her kind of, hey, they liked each other or whatever. And, um, but she'd been married and so there's some different rules. And so what happened is to be a kinsman redeemer, there's three things that have to happen. And this is what happens for us in our redemption through Christ. These three things have to qualify. One is this, is that you have to be related to the one needing redemption. So we're related to God the Father because he's our creator, he's our father. You also have to be able to pay the price. And God, in his master plan, set it up so that he could pay the price through his son Jesus. And so he paid the price in his process and his plan for us. And then the third thing is that the person has to be willing to do so. They have to be related, they have to be able to pay the price, and then they have to be willing to do so. And God the Father is our kinsman redeemer, because he does all of those things, and he's willing to do so. Before beginning of time, his plan was to be willing to do so. You have been redeemed, bought with a price, out of the marketplace, and he has showered us. With this kindness on us and all the wisdom and all understanding. Like Paul, is, this is a prayer of Paul that we would understand the depths of the love and the, and the plan that God has for us. And his plan hasn't changed, right? If he started the plan before creation, we're still in the plan. It hasn't changed. God hasn't meandered. His mind hasn't changed. Nothing changed. So the plan before time was through Christ. It's still in that process. So through Christ, a part of that plan is to grow the family. Ephesians 1, nine. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ Jesus, which is fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. So this is a now, but also a future. Okay, it's, it's, it's an important thing. Everything in the future and even now is under his authority. Even remember back to the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. After his death, burial, and resurrection, before he ascended, his last words, all authority under heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, you Christians, you disciples, go as my ambassadors. In my power, in my name, go and make more disciples. So grow the family, share with the family. In other words, we get an inheritance. How many of y'all are hoping for an inheritance? Last service, there was people cackled out loud. Uh, A few of you are like, I don't even know what that word means. All right. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ Jesus, we're in him, we're located in him. We have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance And he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, here's an interesting thing about this part of the sentence is this is a Greek thought. This is how they the specifics of this sentence is this is that whenever they would write these this word in this sentence of um, inheritance, it was a guaranteed thing. So in other words, when they said this type of inheritance and they used it in the tone that they used it, it was as if it was already fulfilled and completed. It was a guaranteed thing. Even though it's in the future, it was an expectation that there was no doubt that it was going to happen. That makes sense? So it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, we're writing about it in the future and thinking about it, but we're writing about it in such a way that we want you to understand that there's no doubt in our mind as we write about this inheritance that you will receive it. So think about it this way. 
before the beginning of time, God chose you. He called you. He began to pursue you because of his love for you before the world was even created. Now in this present age, as we walk this earth, we have an opportunity to be drawn to and respond to the drawing and the choosing of God's word and say yes to Jesus or no. And so in that, from choosing to redemption, but to also know now in our redemption in Christ, we have a guaranteed full inheritance in the future with him. That that's our present now, but also our future. And so what Paul is saying to us in this now, we have access to God the Father. We have access to the Holy Spirit. We have access to Jesus in the present age, but we'll experience the fullness of all of that in heaven. But we get a glimpse of it here. That's our, our inheritance. You get a little deposit of it now, and God's working out his plan in that. So furthermore, because we are united in Christ, we've received this inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything out according. So he's moving. It's his work. It's this dynamic work that God is doing to fulfill the plan. It will not be thwarted by anything the world offers. So God's purpose was that we Jews, if you're a Jew, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. Okay, That was the first part of the master plan. Here's the second part. And now you Gentiles, which is most of us, have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you, redeems you, buys you, gets you out. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as one of his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. This is a part of your inheritance. This is that thing that you, you're, you know in your knower that you're God's. You've had this moment with him and he's yours. And, and, and yes, there's moments of doubt and all that stuff, but you know that you know in that. And it was promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. That he will give us the inheritance that he promised. In other words, in this present age, when you say yes to Jesus and you're redeemed, the Spirit of God takes residence with inside of this temple. And so now he's working out your salvation so that you will in fullness experience the guarantee in future days. We're getting a glimpse of what heaven will be like. And he purchased us. He gives us an inheritance he promised and he purchased us to be his own people. He did this. So we would praise and glorify him. That word guarantee is also that word seal. So you've ever seen in the old days, a king would have a signet ring and the signet ring and they would push it into the wax and they would create a seal. And so several things about that seal that we, we can understand is the characteristics of that is um, one is it was one of security, right? When they pushed the seal in, they sealed the envelope and it was, hey, this is a secure document. The king has written it and it should not be broken until it gets to the person that's supposed to read it. Okay, so it's completion. There's an authenticity that this is from the king, king himself. And so he wrote the words. These are true words from the king. So it's secure and it's authentic. And then also that there's an authority that comes with it because it's coming from the king and that he owns it. So all of these words are his words. They're sealed. They're secure. They're authentic. They're his and that we're receiving them. And so the spirit of God is the king's seal on us. That he will give us the promise inheritance. Like an engagement ring. There's a promise of a now, but also in the future. And then he also talks about us being an authentic family. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for God's people everywhere. 
and what it looks like for us to be a family together. I've not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you constantly, that that's a part of an authentic family, that there's a, a community where we share life and do life, and we pray and are concerned for each other, asking God on the behalf of others, that the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom, that there's this growing, this sanctification, this further understanding of who God is and who we are in Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. That Paul is praying for the people of the day and praying for us that we know who God is and who we are in Christ and to lean in to that. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light and light brings life. Darkness is death. Pray that your, your hearts are flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he has called. Why is there confidence? Because we've received the seal and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. We're experiencing a little bit of heaven now. His holy people who are rich and glorious because of their inheritance. I pray that your hearts are flooded. The last thing I want you to get is this, is that he wants to empower his family. This is really cool. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. This is the same mighty power. So power is like dynamite, okay? So the dynamite power, so explosive power, right? So the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at Christ at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Eric, can you push back a couple of slides for me? Sorry. I got too excited and pushed too fast. One more. There we go. We'll start over. Thanks. So verse 19. So I pray also that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So let's stop there. So the things that we struggle with, the things that we want to have victory over, most of the time the reason we don't have victory and win in those areas is because we don't realize that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. We think that we're weak and that we're powerless. The Spirit of God has given us the same power that raised Christ from the dead, which is a pretty miraculous thing, am I right? You have access to that in your own life. And it raised him to the right hand of God. We have access to that kind of power. Now he, Jesus, is far above any other ruler, or any authority or power or leader or anything else not only of this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's us. It's a part of his plan. This, you being here today, the women at Woven being there, the first service, all the different people watching online, it's all a part of God's master plan of this church. And the church is his body made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with him. So this morning, the question is, are you part of the family? Have you said yes? And if you had, then you understand what it means to be redeemed and, and to be sealed and all that's available to us and how we can grow in Christ. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we lean in to Paul's prayer. That if you said yes to Jesus... Lean into Paul's prayer that you have a fuller, deeper understanding of who you are in Christ, but more importantly, of who God is.
and everything that's on your access, the master plan and masterpiece that he has for you. You've been redeemed. You've been bought. You're debt-free. You're reconciled. You're released from captivity. You're sealed. You're secure in your faith. You have an authentic faith. You're possessed by God and under his authority. Everything you need, you have in him. And this week, when you feel unworthy, be reminded that God sees you in Christ, located in him. And so that when he looks out, he doesn't see the house that needs to be restored. He sees the masterpiece of what's to come in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, so many times we feel like a disheveled mess. That our house is out of order. Our house needs cleaning. That we don't want any guests over to the house because it just doesn't, it's not ready. And Father, we're busy working and trying to build up a house that looks like what we think it should look like. Through the image of the world. And to Father, just may this week may we be reminded that our house has been fully remodeled, even though we may not see it. It's in process. And that God the Father, that when you look on this house, you see a house that is finished and complete. That you're doing your handiwork, doing the detailed work that you need to do for when that day comes. The full revelation of who we are in Christ, it will be the most beautiful piece of artwork, one of a kind. Father, may we lean into that this week, that truth about how you see us and view us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.